This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you all for joining tonight. We are learning as well as to a soldier by the name of Matan Ben Devorah. This soldier was hit, uh, unfortunately, in the eye. He's uh, Right now he can't see, and I believe it's tomorrow he's going for an operation. So please have him in mind, uh, Matan Ben Devorah, for a Levoa uh, Shlema. We're also learning the Ilunishmat of Avram Ben Chaim Yehuda and Yechezka Ben Rabavam. So, oh yeah, one more announcement. There's something amazing that Daily Giving is doing. Daily Giving, of course, everybody knows what I'm talking about because everybody knows Daily Giving. Everybody's involved with Daily Giving. If you're not, you should check out dailygiving.org. But what they did something fascinating and amazing is where you can now sponsor a dollar in honor of a soldier. So you could give schos. We know that Staka talks on the Mavis. Charity saves from death. So you have the ability now to go and sponsor a soldier and give charity in the sake of that soldier. So you could either bring your own soldier's name if you have a soldier that you're dominating for. And if not, they would provide you with a soldier. You could just go and uh, start the donation aspect of it and, uh, you know, just go through the steps and it'll, it'll come out there. But okay, now, on to the topic at hand. The, the, the idea of, of people caring about what's going on in the world is very, very popular right now. Many, many people are choosing sides, and many, many people have their strong beliefs, and many people have this uh, empathy on one side and outrage on the other side. And you tend to see how it's very selective. People kind of, uh, you know, decide when they're going to get upset, how they're going to get upset. People decide who are they going to, uh, you know, have, have emotions for, feel for, have empathy for, who they will not. And we see this obviously a very large division in the Jewish world and the non-Jewish world. You have the empathy in the Jewish world and you have the empathy in the non-Jewish world. Now, the focus, really what I want to focus tonight is the difference between, uh, between those, those two. And in order to understand the difference, we're going to have to go a little bit of a journey as we have been for the past four classes, maybe five classes, uh, when we're delving on the current, we've been doing very, very heavily current events. And uh, today we'll continue with that. So we will go through about what's going on in the world and uh, and then see how it kind of is the opposite of what the Jewish people are going through, uh, but at the same point in time, kind of similar. And you'll still see what I am saying. So as we begin, we know that uh, uh, yesterday, yesterday there was a, a, there was a huge rally um, uh, in Washington D.C. for uh, against anti-Semitism to support Israel, and the fascinating, amazing thing was is that we had uh, again. This is an estimated number; it could be a lot higher. But they said that it was at least, and that's what I'm saying, a lot higher, not a lot lower. There was at least 290,000 people attending this rally, and again, not all of them are Jews, but at least 290,000 uh, you know attendees. This is the largest uh, uh, community rally in uh, the history of America for Israel. Uh, well, I guess the history of America and the history for Israel. The, the largest one prior to this was in the Second Intifada in 2002. There was about 100,000 people rallying. And then the time before that was in 1987 uh, to support the Soviet Jews when you had around 250,000 people uh, rallying. So this time beat uh, both of them. And that's not including the live stream, which you... People are estimating not watching it after the fact, but about 250,000 people watched it live. So you're talking about over a half a million people participated in this rally um, for uh, to support Israel and to support uh, the Jews. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is that you look at the difference between uh, uh, the the 
difference of rallies with pro-Israeli to pro-Palestinian is, it, it, it's like looking at, you, you don't even think they're rallying for the same cause. Obviously, they're not rallying for the same cause, they're different sides, but you don't think that they're rallying about the same topic. You have, the, you know, the difference, you look at the, the Israeli rally, it, you have way more than all the other uh, Palestinian protests or rallies, whatever you call them. Not one person was wearing a mask. Not a single person was wearing a mask. Now, you have to ask, if someone's coming out in public to state that they believe in something, why are they wearing masks? Why are the, Palest- the pro-Palestinian, the pro-Hamas, why are they wearing masks? Because they know that there's something wrong about it. The pro-Israeli rally, there was not a single mask. Uh, the second aspect that you see, and and this I found it very interesting, I, I did not, uh, I was not able to be, uh, again, for reasons, whatever, it doesn't matter what the Gedalim were saying, but I'm not going to get into that, about going to the rally or not going to the rally, but you had the, uh, the, cons- the, the concern was for both sides, meaning in the Palestinian rallies, all they cared about is one side and one side only. In the Israeli rally, you had concerns for both sides, the Palestinian and Israel, which begins to shed light on who is the humanitarian on, on this side over here. Uh, the, the pro-Israeli rallies, you see you see what it was. It was uh, American flags, it was Israeli flags, uh, and if you look anywhere, wherever they, they're protest, wherever they're protesting or rallying, they always had Israeli Israeli rallies. Always had the flag of the country that they are in, whether it's England, whether it's France, whether it's America. They have the flags. So basically, having you know Hakar Satov, having gratitude for the country that they they are in, and saying we support our country, but please also help us support the the you know the country of of Israel. The pro-Palestinian rallies, on the flip side. They do not have the flag of the country they're in. In fact, usually what they do is they rip down the flag of the country that they're in. They destroy the country of the flag that they're in. And, and you see this in America. Uh, I believe one of the senators, uh, um, you know, publicized this, where in Israeli uh, rallies you see them holding American and Israeli flags. In the Palestinian rallies, you see them ripping off the American flags and only having the Palestinian uh, flag. And that reason, one of the reasons for that is they don't care about America. They don't care about France. They don't care about England. They care, they, they want their country to become an Islamic country. And they state so very, very publicly without any shame, without any, uh, uh, you know, a, like, like a busha or embarrassment on it. And when you think about it from a pol- political standpoint, this is a very, very not smart thing to do. The whole purpose of rallies, the whole purpose of protests is that you should be able to get the people that are able to make a difference, the government officials, that they should help you. Now, why would government officials want to help you? Everybody has a selfish reason to something that they're doing. A government official, again, some of them are very often, you know, that they only care about the good and they only, and, and we'll give it to them, but most people want something in return. So when they see people protesting, when they see people rallying, okay, wait a minute. If I'm going to listen to them, then they're going to in turn vote for me. But when you, when they see people ripping American flags, and when they see, they're like, these are not voters. Like, why would I care to help people that are not voters? As opposed to, you see, the Israeli, uh, you know, the, the rallies, they're supporting America. They're supporting Israel. They're supporting everything. They're like, okay, but these are people that are normal people. These are people that are healthy mentally. These are people that are obviously going to support. So, of course, they're going to stand with that side. Again, I don't want to give the secret away to the Palestinians, but again, I don't know how many Palestinians are listening to these classes, but it's, it's the worst, it's the dumbest thing for them to do when they vandalize, when they, when they, when they scream against their country. No one's going to want to help them. Like, who is going to want to help them, uh, besides the, the few Muslims that they have in government? But other than that, who's going to want to join their side? 
right. The, the, the government official, they care about votes. And these are not people that are going to be, per, you know, uh, giving any votes to one side or another. Which is a side reason why it's important to vote wherever you are, but we're not going to get into that. So, when you look at the difference, uh, and, and in a sense, it was, there was a Kiddush Hashem where you had, first of all, you had uh, 290,000 people. I don't think there was one arrest. Uh, there was no ripping of posters. There was no screaming or killing for the Muslims. There was no dis- genocide screaming. There was no gazing the Muslims. There was none of that. As the flip side, of course, we know what, uh, you know, what, what, what exists. There was something so amazing that was going around. There was a police officer that was asked, you know, 290,000 people. And there was, you know, from the people that I heard that were there, there was not a large police presence, which means there was a lot of, uh, of, of the, the actual police that were there. They had to deal with a lot. And a police officer was asked, how was the crowd today? Like, how, how was it? And, the, you know, the police officer responded, direct quote, I got a career's worth of thank yous in one shift today. You had thousands, tens upon thousands of people saying thank you to a police officer in an Israeli rally. You want to know what happened in a Palestinian rally? They attacked the police officers. And that happened, by the way, the same day that this rally was happening in another place in New York. This was in Washington, D.C. Another place in New York that was pro-Palestinian uh, a rally. And they were attacking a police officer. So we see here very, very obvious difference in the people that you're dealing with. The people that support uh, um, Israel and the people that support Pal- you know Palestine and Palestinians and Hamas are two very 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 different people and and how they act. But there's more than that, and I want to get to the double standard of where these people are coming from, and it's, in a sense where uh, where we come from as well. In this week's parasha, um, the Torah tells us that with the the birth of Yaakov and Esau, it says that. The Pasuk in Bereshit, chapter 25, verse 27. It says, The two young children, the two youths, they grew up. Yeah, it was referring to Yaakov and Esau. And it says regarding Esau, he was a man who understood hunting, and he was a man of the field. It says, Ish, twice. Keep that in mind. The Yaakov, it says, Yaakov, Ish, Tam, Yoshev, Oyhalem. Yaakov, it says, Ish, once, he was sitting amongst the tent. So the question asked, wait a minute. Why is it that Yaakov gets one ish in the Torah and Esau gets the, the, uh, the terminology is of, of uh, the, the verbiage of two ish? So that one of the answers that I saw was very beautiful is that Yaakov Vinu represented a mindset. And what, what does it mean that Yaakov Vinu was Yoshev Oyhalem? He was sitting in the tents. That means he was sitting, he was learning Torah. He was sitting and he was working on his character. He was becoming a better person. And that's what he represented. And no matter where he went, he was a shepherd. He was a wealthy man. He was. A, he learned, the, the, wherever he went, he had one mentality. He had one foundation. And that foundation was Yoshev Oyhalem. He was a man of learning Torah. He was a man of God. And he, was, and, and he acted that way. Wherever he was, he acted the same way. Whether it was in the business world, whether it was in the learning world, whether it wasn't into interpersonal world, whichever way it was, he acted one way. On the flip side, Asaph, it says ish twice. Because Asaph, the ish, the two ish that it says by Asaph, ish yedea tzayed, he was man who knew how to hunt, 
But Yudea uh, Tzayit is also another, uh, um, there's another explanation for it, and that he was, he was a cunning man, he was a deceiving man. And we see this when Esav went to his father Yitzhak, he pretended to be a big tzaddik. He's like, how do we go and give meiser on salt? He asked questions on things that was so abstract, that was not relevant, and he would ask these to present himself as a very, very holy and righteous person. But at the same point in time that he was an ish tzaddik, he was a cunning person, he was also ish tzaddik, he was a man in the field, that's all he was. The, the, the personality of Esav was flip-floppy. He had a double life. At one point, he presented himself as a righteous person. At another point, he presented himself as who he really was. And this, this was the double standard that was the life of Esau. So we see that Yaakov had a single standard. Where he acted in his home, he acted outside. Where he acted outside, he acted in business. When he acted in business, the way that's where he acted in yeshiva. He acted the same consistently. And by the way, just a side note, this is a lesson that we can take into our own mind. Do we act the same way inside, outside, in business, in learning, and, and when we we speak to, to people that are important to us, when we have respect, whether it's Tamid HaKamim, whether it is to rabbis, whether it is to business associates, it doesn't matter. Do we speak the same way or do we change? Do we also have a little bit of a double standard? Do we act differently in our house than we do outside? But in any case, Yaakov was one, he was one ish. He always had the same Yeshiva Elam, he had the same mindset. Asa was the double standard. And that's what we see in today's day and age. And the people over here that are posting the double standard. And let's explain, let's go through a little bit of, uh, of history. I'm going to share with you something through the past, I would say less, about 20 years. 20 years in history. And this is 20 years of history of humanitarian crisis. 20 years of history of mass murderers. And let us see all these people that they care, they have so empathy, they have their outrage at what's going on with the Palestinians, what's going on with Israel, their outrage is what's happening over here. Let's see where they were in all these situations. And these are the double standards that you see that is happening in the world today. These are people that are making a lot of noise. They care so much about people. They care so much about so many people, but... Let's see how much they really care. And by the way, when I say this, it's very unfortunate that sometimes, and I'm using air quotes, Jewish people are in this category also, that they cry and they care about all these people, um, where in essence they really do not care about it. All those people that they cry ceasefire or they cry other uh, uh, nonsense things that they have no idea what's going on in the news uh, or, or they have n- n- no access to reality. But in any case, uh, to quote the United Nations, which should not be quoted because they're not worth a paper that they're written on, but in any case, the United Nations has estimated that in Yemen, there was an estimate of 377,000 people killed, this is by the end of 2021, killed, uh, this was a lot by the Saudi Arabia conflict, he's talking about about 15,000 civilians have been killed directly uh, by the military, Um, this you're dealing with 377,000 people. Now, for all the people that they care so much about the Palestinians, they care so much about the Muslims that are living across the world that they know very little about, where were the protests for Yemen? I, I Maybe I missed it. Again, I was never so much involved in the news, but I don't remember seeing so many protests for Yemen. Syria, over 300,000 people killed. This is between March 2011 to March 2021. This... And by the way, some of this was done through chemical attacks, chemical warfare. I didn't see any protests for the Syria, for for all these Syrians that are dying by their own, by the hands of their own. Where is, where, where were the protests? 
300, we, right now, the, the Gaza Ministry of Health, which, again, it's, it's worth exactly the same value as the United Nations, uh, uh, which is nothing, is uh, saying that there's like 11,000 dead or, uh, I, I don't know, somewhere around that, that part. You're talking about 300,000, over 300,000 in Yemen, over 300,000 deaths in Syria. Where are, it's a fraction of the number. Where are the, where were the protests? Russia killed, you know, again, the estimate in Russia is all over the place, but it's about, let's say, 120,000. I didn't see one protest for Russia. I didn't see one. There was 24,000 Muslims killed in Myanmar. And besides the 24,000 that were killed, this is in late August 2017, there was more than 740,000 that had to run from Myanmar to, to Bangladesh. Most people don't even know where I'm talking about and what I'm saying. That's how that's how little people know what's going on in the world, which the question that lies is, wait a minute, so if people don't, then what's going on over here with, with the, the Israel-Palestinian conflict? Why is this headlines nonstop? It's a month. It's been a month. Um, a little bit more than a month. And you're talking about all the major news networks. This is constantly on the front pages. This is constantly, Russia and Ukraine war is a lot more significant in deaths-wise than this. That's not making the page, they didn't make the pages for, for, for this long. The, you know, like, like in, in, in Sudan. In Sudan, there was, uh, there was, there was a genocide campaign, you know, against several black ethnic groups. And you're talking about somewhere between four, about 450,000 people killed. 2.5 million had to, you know, escape that. They were forced to flee. They were refugees now. Now, I, did anybody even know about this? Like, the, the, where was the protest for this? The Iraqi Civil War. This was between 2011-2013. Okay, not that long ago. Entire neighborhoods in, in Baghdad were ethnically cleansed by Muslims killing Muslims, right? The Shia and the Sunni uh, militias. There was an estimate of 2.2 million Iraqis that were displaced. I didn't see any protest for that. South Africa, ethnic cleansing were eight, 80,000 were, were displaced. I didn't see anything for that. And if you want to say, okay, that's back then, what about right now? There is hundreds of thousands of Ghani refugees that are in, that are being deported from Pakistan. I didn't see one, one rally, one protest for that. And if you want to say, okay, you know, these are Islamic people, they care about Islam, everything that I mentioned right now is all for, for, for Muslim people, everything except for Russia. Everything else was Muslim people. And you can go even further. Even you, you have, it's not only Muslims killing Muslims. In China, which is again, not Muslim against, against Muslim, there's hundreds of thousands of Muslims that are in mass confinement, detention centers, that are under surveillance, they're being tortured. There is so much humanitarian, you know, crisis that's going on in China right now. Forced abortions, the, the sterilizations, the organ harvesting, I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, the torture. Does anybody mention this? Does anybody protest against this? In Iran, in Iran, there was two girls that were uh, murdered for not covering their hair, and there were there were a lot of protests. Uh, there was nationwide protests for that. You know what the, the, the Iranian government, the security forces, did for that? They killed more than five hundred people, and they and out of that five hundred, at least sixty nine of them were children. They arrested more than nineteen thousand protesters, and many of them were sentenced to death penalty. Where was the protest for that? For the people that they care so much about the world. They care so much about the Muslims. They care so much about the Palestinians. And again, as they, sh- as we all should, right? We all should. But where were the protests? 
if you care so much, then we're the double standards. Where were you? Where were all these people before when they were, all these people were suffering and murdered and, and tortured and displaced, all these humanitarian crises that were going on. There was not one protest that I've seen. And let's say, let's say that, okay, you just care about Palestinians. For whatever reason, you just care about Palestinians. All right, I'll give you that. Maybe it's from that's where you come from. Maybe that's what, all you care about. So, where were you where there were all these human rights violations in Gaza by Hamas? Where were the protests for that? Hamas says say straight out, they don't protect their civilians. They don't. And you know, the, the, the funny thing is, is that they say, you know whose responsibility? It's the United Nations responsibility to protect the Gaza civilians. And that's that's like you know I, I can't even begin to say that like they're the governing power. No, they have the obligation to protect the civilians. It's like America is going and saying you know I know China has to take care of our civilians. Uh, you know civilians. We have to worry about uh, what's happening in the Middle East, and China has to worry about like it's an idiotic thing to say. You're the governing power. You have to go and take care of your civilians. The Hamas uses human shields. Everybody knows that. Like even you know like. When I do my research, I do my research from all area. Even Al Jazeera, Al Jazeera knows knows this, and and they had to make a whole. They had to uh, come out with a whole article explaining what that means and whatever. In any case, it, it, it came out uh, looking worse than they thought that that it would make them look better. But everybody knows they use human shields. Everybody knows that they take uh, they take humanitarian aid, they take fuel, they take everything from their own people, they build tunnels only for their own people, they don't build bomb shelters, and they say it straight out, we don't build bomb shelters because we need to protect ourselves, and that's why we only build tunnels for who? For Hamas. We don't care about the Palestinians, we don't care about the people in Gaza, we only care about ourselves, they say it straight out. To the point that they even murder their own. Forget about how they got into power when they overtook and they, and they literally shot and killed, uh, their own, uh, you know, the, the, the Palestinian Authority had, had power over there before they came in. They murdered them and threw them off the roof. Putting that aside, they murdered their own civilians. If the, the, and this was the, also document, I don't know, maybe it was, uh, two weeks ago or something like that, where, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the news outlets came out where Hamas was killing their own for, for, for running towards the Israelis. People that were kind of giving up now has changed a little bit, but Hamas very straight out they shot their own their own civilians. These are all 100% war crimes. These are all hum, human rights violation, and this is not happening just now. This has been happening since 2007. This has been happening a long time. If people care so much about the Palestinians and people care so much about, where were the protests against Hamas? Where what? Where's the double standards? And you you know what these people say? They're going to respond to you. Well, you know why? You know why Hamas is doing that? Because Israelis are making them do that. I don't think anybody could ever make somebody do what they did to babies. I don't think anybody could ever make, you know, do something what they did to women. I don't think anybody could do, like, can make anybody do something like to that extent. That is sadistic, animalistic, you know, like, that, that's not humane behavior. But people give excuses for them. And they say, you know what? They gave excuses because there's a wall, there's a blockade, uh, there's an occupation. They use all these fancy terminology, which is all incorrect. And if you look into history, the reason why there's a wall, the reason why there's a blockade, the reason was only after the terrorists came into power and they wanted to kill Israel. So all Israel did was protect itself. That's all it did. That's all it did. The, the, and we spoke about this, I believe it was last class. We, this, or oh, it was two classes ago. The, the idea that people claim that the reason why these terrorists are doing these acts was because of Israel is backwards. 
the whole reason why Israel is protecting itself is because these terrorist animals did something first, and then Israel protected itself, and now these terrorist animals are continuing their act. It wasn't the other way around. It wasn't that Israel went and they started being, okay, let's, let's, uh, you know, like, seclude them. Let's do this, let's do X, Y, and Z, and then they lashed out. The lashing out happened first, and then came the blockade, and then came the, the wall, and then came all the protection things, and then they got upset that we were protecting, you know, ourselves. And to make matters a little bit more uh, uh, clearer, the Gaza Strip is is right now one of the poorest places on Earth. And you would think, okay, it's poor. That means that everybody's poor there. The answer is no. The leaders over there have a huge wealth. Uh, the leaders are worth in the billions of dollars, uh, you know, the leaders of Gaza. And, and just to understand the level, the unemployment rate in Gaza is over 60%. In 2022, the World Bank reported that the GDP per capita in Gaza was estimated $1,257. To compare to that, to the West Bank, which again, is not a rich, you know, place, that had 4,458, you know, uh, GDP per capita. Which means that's, you're, you're talking about a one-fourth, one-fourth of what it was going in West Bank. And you think about it, you know, like, where's all the wealth going? I mean, Gaza, 80% live in poverty. But yet there's hundreds of millions of dollars that are going in continuously. Uh, you're talking about billions of dollars over the course of the years that went into Gaza. Where's it all going? Besides building missiles, besides doing all these things, it's going into these people's pockets. These are people that are worth in the billions of dollars while their whole, the, all, the entire economy is in shambles. Everybody is not doing well. And if people really care, Really, if you really cared about the Palestinian cause, where were, where were you in the past 15 years, in the past 17 years, where were you going and, and rallying and supporting for what for to get rid of Hamas? So what's the answer? The answer is we're not real dealing with real empathy. These people don't care. The people are like, you know, like, why are people all of a sudden waking up now in Gaza? No one cared before. I shouldn't say no one. Most people don't care before, and most people still don't care. The proof is, is is straight out there. If people care so much about it, why isn't anyone taking the Palestinian refugees? Every, Israel would love to give it to Egypt. Take Gaza. But you know the funny thing is, no, the like like it's as if you know like everyone's protesting that Gaza is going to be free. Like, nobody wants Gaza. Like nobody wants it. It's it's like the lowest of the low, right? And I don't want to even get to all the details. Of course, there there I'm sure there are, there are decent people over there, but. Putting that statement on side, the people that went and broke in after the gate was open was not just Hamas, and it was not just the, the terrorists. You had civilians that broke in, you had civilians that captured, uh, um, that, that kidnapped people, you had civilians that, that came into murder. It, 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 there's a lot to, to unfold over here that we, today, today's not the time to unfold it. But, the idea is that nobody wants Gaza. Israel doesn't want Gaza, Egypt doesn't want Gaza. Jordan doesn't want Gaza. Lebanon can't even handle their own. Forget about thinking about Gaza. Syria is still working on their own issues. Like, nobody wants it. So stop. Everyone's like, oh, the occupation, that what's going to be. Nobody wants to deal with Gaza. Nobody wants it. It's corrupt. It's terrible. It, it, the, the education there is all about hatred. The education there is all about murder. Nobody wants to deal with it. But if people care so much about it, why are they waking up only right now? And the answer is, it's a double life, just like Esau. Esau had a double life. Ish Sayed, he was a cunning person. 
It was an ish sada. It was a different person in one place and a different person in another place. And you see the same thing over here. These are people that are protesting. That they want to free Palestine. Yet the same protesting. What do they want to do? Human rights violation. By the same point in time, they're, 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 they're screaming out for a mass murder of Jews. For the same point in time, they're, they're vandalizing the country that they're in. For the same time, at the same time that they're asking for mercy on one people, they're going and they're, they're, they're hurting the police officers in the, in another in, in the state that they're they're protesting against, you can see the double standard is in the in the same sentence. They don't have to. It's the same sentence, and that's where you see the difference between real empathy and fake empathy. Everything that's going on in the world, all these people that are crying out, so you know, say Gaza and say that, and I shouldn't say all, but most of them, they don't care. Just like. Unfortunately, many people don't care about all the wars that are happening. The Ukraine-Russia war, how many protests are going on over there? If it doesn't affect you, you don't care about it that much. And that's, unfortunately, the truth of the matter. If it's going around across the world, it doesn't affect me that much. So you have the the college kids that are a little bit bored, they have nothing to do, and they don't have any intelligence, so they go and they start picking sides, and they think that it's the right thing to go and protest because, uh, you know, like it's the right thing to do. Okay, you know, that we spoke about that already previously. But empathy? Caring? No, no, no. This is not empathy. This is not caring. The, the, historically speaking, when you want to look at empathy, you want to look at caring, there has never been a moral army close to the way the, the Israeli army is, is, is going. Which army goes and tells people, leave before we bomb? Leave before we bomb. Like, the, the, there are people that are coming out that Israel is going on a genocide. Israel wants to wipe Gaza off the face of the earth. If Israel wanted to wipe Gaza off the face of the earth, it could do it within 24 hours. They, they, so easy, so easily that they, they have the weaponry, they have the air force, they have the technology, they have the ability to literally make is, make Gaza flat within twenty they, they, without any problems whatsoever. Right? They don't have this. Not they could easily do that. They're not looking for genocide. Israel is trying to go, and, and this is the the crazy thing when you look at the world and be like, how do you not see this? Like. Just look at it from from you know like from from a, a, a little bit of a, of, a, of a bird's eye view. You could see things so clearly. Like I, I, it begins to boggle your mind. Israel is the only army that tells people leave because we're going to bomb it. But the people don't always listen. So Israel calls them. Israel sends them text messages. Israel sends them leaflets. They fly over them and say, leave in Arabic, leave for your own safety, go out, and they tell them exactly where to go. They draw them a map, and they tell them exactly where they need to go. It, you know, and if they still don't leave, before they bomb a building, they draw a roof bomb, which means it's like a knock bomb, which is like an explosion, and to let people know that in the next few minutes, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna destroy this building. Like, no army does that. And you know what the own government of Hamas does? Tells the people, no, 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 I want you to stay. Because it looks good, it looks good when you die for the papers. This is a media war that the media is literally feeding itself into it. It's the Hamas is trying to go and get the world empathy by saying, "Look, look at the deaths. Look at the deaths. Doesn't forget about what we did, but just look, look, look at the deaths." And that's why they're the only the ones that are giving their own death counts. So you have over here, Israel is giving them the the, the weight to, to get out. Israel is not only that, they also are helping them. They're bringing fuels to their hospitals. 
again, Hamas doesn't let it, which is a whole nother situation. They're bringing incubators to their hospital. They're going, and they, they, they constantly give, like, how much does Israel need to give before people start realizing, okay, wait a minute, maybe the humanitarian crisis is, we're, we're, we're pointing the fingers in the wrong place. And the answer is they'll never do that because they don't, it's all selective. It's selective outrage. They don't care. They don't care. And there's not, and I'll tell you to make this matter is to show you how much Israel does, which again, not all that I'm saying I agree with what Israel does, but the bottom line is this is what they do. Yahya Sinwar, or Yahya Sinwar, however, uh, you know, if you're American or if you know how to pronounce his name correctly, the leader of Hamas in Gaza Strip. This guy was, uh, in 1989, he was uh, responsible for abducting two Israeli soldiers and four Palestinian soldiers. Uh, not soldiers, but four Palestinians. He, again, not, he, he abducted, he, he kidnapped, two Israelis and four Palestinians. He went and he was sentenced for life in prison. In life in prison, he, uh, he had a tumor. This is the leader, current leader of Hamas in Gaza, who was living like a cockroach under the bunkers. He had a tumor in his brain. Israel then went and treated him with the best doctors. He didn't have to pay a single cent out of this. He had a brain tumor. He was completely treated in an Israeli hospital. And then later he was released in the Gilat Shalit, uh, Shalat deal. In 2017, he became the leader of Gaza Strip, which you begin to think like this is the guy who orchestrated the mass, like the mass murder of over 1200 Jewish people or Israeli people. This is the, it's like, if you start thinking about it, like imagine, like, for, for Americans, right? Imagine that Osama bin Laden was in America, and he was sick, and America took care of Osama bin Laden, and they gave him free health care, even though it's not free, and they gave him the best doctors, and they, they cured him of everything, and then they sent him back, back to Al-Qaeda, right? They sent, they sent Osama back, um, and, uh, they... Then Hassan bin Laden goes and does the 9-11, the terrorist attack against the Twin Towers. Like, do you imagine, like, the, the, where's the, like, a little bit of, of, like, I don't know, like, they saved your life, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, he was sitting in prison, but they, they did things that they would never have done in any other country, especially in the Middle East, and this is the return, so, so, how do you cut... The, and this is what Israel is. So you see over here the empathy from one side and the empathy of another side. You see over here, and I was I was listening to today. I don't know what it was. It was in Hebrew. It was an Israeli, uh, um, uh, I guess, news station that um, was was talking about this. And the one the, the person that was, was speaking about it was like, I don't understand what Israel is doing. And the other person... Again, this is secular, secular Israelis... And the other person says, says, what can we do? He says, this is who we are. We care too much about people. We can't. We, we just care too much. And we just want, we just want, we, we can't, we can't let someone stop. We can't. We care too much. And he kept on saying that. And like, it hit me. And, you know, in, in a, like in a sense of like, you know, the humanitarian, you know, like, like mindset of the Israelis is so high, yet in the world's outlook, it's so low. Like, how is that, like, why are the dots not connecting? Like, why are they not going anywhere? And the answer is, just like people have select empathy, and just pe- just like people have selective outrage, people also have selective hearing, and we all know that. People see what they want to see and hear what they want to see. And there's a narrative. Every single one of us, every single person out there has a specific narrative that they go through. And this is the way that we want to see things. And this is the way that we want the appearance to be, so this is the way that we will see things, even though it may not be true. 
But the important aspect is, the important aspect is, is to see the difference between real empathy and fake empathy. And now I want to present to you the most important, and this is the whole, this is the whole thing that I was leading up to. So, so, so bear with me for the next uh, 15 or so minutes, because this is the most important aspect that, uh, that I feel is, is, is so imperative. Uh, I feel like this will, this will help, you know, fast forward the Mashiach, uh, you know, coming. So this is something that I spoke about before from Rabbi Matisiel Solomon. And Rabbi Matisiel Solomon, this is not based off the recent events in, in, that happened now in, uh, in, you know, in, in, in Israel. But in the past, uh, uh, you know, many, many years, we have seen that there was an increase in suffering, uh, you know, across the board, specifically for the Jewish people. Whether it's Panasah with livelihood, whether it's Shaduchim crisis, whether it's with children, whether it's broken homes, whether it's, you know, the, you know, health and, and young deaths and whatever, the list goes on and on. And we never really understand, we never really know how and why the Kaddish Baruch Hu does certain things. And, you, you know, you begin to wonder at this stage in our Gullus, at this stage in our exile, why are we going through so much suffering? And then we have the worst day since the Holocaust. The worst, um, the, the largest amount of deaths in one day since the Holocaust. And you think, okay, you know what? At least now the world will be on our side. And as the Jewish people are picking up the pieces, you see the world turn very quickly against the Jews. These are places of higher education. These are educated people ignoring facts. These are governments around the world. These are going against the Jewish people. We're like, wait, we just got hit. Like, what's going on? So explains my about the sale of Solomon. When Akadish Baruch Hu goes and sends Moshe Rabbeinu down to Mitzrayim, and he gives Moshe Rabbeinu the secret signs to tell, to convince the Jewish Zakinim, the Jewish elders, that he is the, the, the one that's going to take them out of Mitzrayim. And he, Moshe Rabbeinu convinces the, the, the elders, he convinces the Zakinim, and he goes to Paro. And you can imagine the euphoria, you can imagine the people, okay, our savior is here. Our Savior is here, and he's going to Paro, and they go to Paro, and Moshe, and Aaron, and all the elders, and they say, let my people go. And what was the response? What was the response? Paro goes and says, oh, you know, you, you, you guys have so much time on your hands to think about redemption. You guys have so much time on your hands to think about other, well, you know, other things. You know what I'm going to do now? He says, now, until now, I was giving you straw, so that they, people can make the bricks for the slave labor. Now, they're going to collect the, the straw themselves, but they still have to make the same number of bricks that they had, that they made until now. So, some of the people started turning on Moshe and Aaron. This is, what are you doing? Like, Moshe and Aaron, like, why did you guys come here and make trouble? Like, we were sitting here, yeah, it was difficult. Yeah, we were sitting, but at least we were getting straw. Now you made it so much worse for us. And Moshe Rabbeinu, his love for the Jews, what, what, what caused him to do everything was his love for his brothers and sisters, his love for the Jewish people. Moshe Rabbeinu, who saw these unexpected developments, he, he was like, he's like, I thought I was coming to help them. I'm making them worse. And this is why Moshe Rabbeinu in, 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 in Shemai chapter 5 verse 22, it says that, Vayashem Moshe Hashem, Moshe returned to Akadish Baruch Hu, Vayemra Hashem, and he said to Akadish Baruch Hu, Lama Rasala Amazeh. Why did you cause harm to these people? Lama Zeshalachtani, why did you send me? I thought I was coming to help people. I thought I was coming to go and save them from slavery. But instead what happened was, it became worse when I came. Why? Why, why Hashem? 
So what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu answer? HaKadosh Baruch Hu answered, Now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Paro. So we have to ask, what was going on over here? Why did Hashem send Moshe this to do this? Why did the power have to go worse? Why now, after after it became worse, now now Hashem is going to show power? What, 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 uh, who's the real boss? So, explains Rabbi Elian Lopian. There's a Gemara in Shabbos, page 151b, that says, Kol hamarachim al habriyas merachim alav min Anybody who has mercy to other people, Hashem has mercy on him. It's me that can get me, the measure for measure. And it goes the flip side. You don't have mercy on other people, Hashem is not going to have mercy on, on you. Explains Rav Eliyahu We have to understand what happened over here. Moshe went down to Mitzrayim to get the people out of Mitzrayim. But there was a problem. And the problem was the Jewish people did not deserve to be redeemed. And if you ask people, you know, nowadays, people are saying, where is Mashiach? Does Mashiach need to be? Why isn't Mashiach here now? Like, I'm waiting. We're waiting for Mashiach. And the question that we have to ask, again, do we deserve it? And I hope we do. And I'm not saying one way or another. But it's a question that has to be asked. And back then, there was, there was the same question. Did the Jewish people deserve to be freed from Mitzrayim? And the answer was, no, they were not back then. They were in the Memtas Shari Tumah. They were in the lowest level of, of, of Tumah. They did not have enough merit. But Hashem wanted to redeem them. They needed to be redeemed. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu made a shortcut. And the shortcut was is that they could show extreme empathy for one another. Then HaKadosh Baruch Hu would show extreme empathy to them. Mida Mida. So what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu do? What did God do? HaKadosh Baruch Hu engineered a situation where people will have the opportunity to show extreme empathy. So what he did was, Hashem caused the bondage of Egypt to be so much darker, so much harsher, so much worse than it was before. The suffering was increasing, so now the individual will have a a higher level of sensitivity. People would feel their suffering. And you want to know who are these heroic individuals? Who are these individuals that ended up saving the Jewish nation in a sense? These were the Shaitan, these were the Jewish supervisors. The Medrash explains that the Egyptians, they did not really hold these taskmasters, these Shaitan, these uh, police officers responsible. The <coughs> way that it was, <coughs> excuse me, is that there was slaves, and then there was Jewish overseers. These are the, the, the Shaitan. These were the, the, the police force, the Jewish police force. And the Egyptians would be on top of them. And the Egyptians would say, okay, you have a group of, let's say, 20 people that are working on you. And the quota was, each person, let's say, for argument's sake, would make 100 bucks per day. So if you had 20, you had to deal with 2,000, uh, you had to deal with 2,000 bricks. So if you say, okay, we're, if you're, if you're short, one time you're bringing 18, 1,800 bricks, where is the difference? Where is the shortage? And the, 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 police officers, what they had to do is they had to tell the Egyptian taskmasters and they say, okay, listen, you know, uh, slave A, B, and F, they're the ones that caused a shortage in it. And then what the Egyptians would do, they would go and they would beat these people uh, to make sure that it doesn't happen again. But what the Shaitan did, they did not give over the names. They were like, we can't. We can't. And this is what Rashi explains. The Shaitan refused to do it. They refused to give up the names of their fellow Jewish people, the fellow, the, the fellow, the, 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 the people that they were watching over because they knew that they were going to get beaten. 
And you know what they said? It's better that we should get beaten than they should get beaten. And they refused to turn it over. They showed extreme empathy for the people that were suffering. Beforehand, it didn't exist that way. But now when it all of a sudden, Akash Baruch raised the volume, raised the, 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 the suffering, all of a sudden it gave an opportunity for everybody, everybody around to, to, to share in that empathy. And this explains Rabbi Eli Lapian of what was going on over here. Akadish Baruch Hu, Akadish Baruch Hu said, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Paro. After the description of the Shaitra, after the trigger, after, after they gave up that, after they showed that empathy, that was the trigger for the redemption, that was the trigger for the Geula. Even though they didn't earn it yet. And we look at nowadays where we're, we're, we're in a very, very dark time for the Jewish people. And to make matters upon work, you know, like to, to bring darkness upon darkness, there is an increase of anti-Semitism. There's an increase of violent protests. There's an increase in damages and the increase in boycotts. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And, you know, maybe we could say that our generation has not accumulated enough merit, enough schism, to earn the redemption, to earn the geula, to earn Mashiach. But what we lack in merit, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us opportunities. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us keys. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us, you know, these, these, these abilities, these opportunities that come up that if we have mercy in other people, if we share the empathy of our brothers and sisters, then we can get this tremendous amount of, of merit. And we have to use this empathy. This is the real empathy. This is not the fake empathy of the world. And let me just explain this. The Gemara in Sukkah, page 52a, uh, says that there are seven names for the Yetzirah. One of it, the names of the Yetzirah is Evan, is Stone. What does that mean that Yetzirah's name is Stone? Meaning that people's heart turned to stone. They don't feel anymore. You know, how many of us live day by day just by habit? We just do with our, you know, we dive in because, you know, we have to. You know, we say Tehillim because we have to. You know, like, you know, we learn because we have to. Like, we Shabbos because we have to. We say we bench because we have to. Like, we do things out of a stone heart. We don't feel. And all of a sudden, something happens to our world that shakes us up. This takes, and I can't tell you how many people I've spoken to where they were like, all of a sudden, they're like, you know, I, I started feeling again. We're so numb, not only because we're used to day-to-day, but it's all the social media, and it's all what's going on in the world, and the TV, the movies, and the music, and everything that's going on, and the news, and our, you know, we're so busy with work, and we're so busy with so many other things, we become stone. And Akadosh Baruch Hu sends us, all of a sudden, this lightning bubble that wakes us up. And all these people that couldn't daven, and all these people that couldn't have concentration, and all these people that just were like so sleepy, so full of stone, all of a sudden we all woke up. So many people woke up, and you're talking about people that, you know, and I shared this video on the, on the WhatsApp group, on, you know, for people, uh, you know, that, for, that were completely not, didn't even look Jewish, fully tattooed up, and to, to coming religious, and then, yeah, from all spectrums, Right, we shared we shared a few videos on the WhatsApp group, and if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp group, it's below on the videos. I know it's on YouTube, but the videos you can join it over there. So you have so many, so many people that just woke up over here, and I can just Baruch Hu is giving us an opportunity. It's giving us an opportunity we should feel. 
We need to feel. It's good to feel. It's good to cry. It's good to have empathy. It's good. This, call him a rachim. Anybody who has mercy, this is giving us the opportunity. The Gemara Shabbos tells us, we have an opportunity to bring the geula so much quicker. We all feeling something. The question is, what are you doing with that feeling? What are you doing with that? Do you just have like a good cry and that's it? Or do you take those tefillahs and do you channel them to HaKadosh Baruch Do you channel them to help somebody else? Do you channel them to show your empathy for somebody else? Do you go and you daven for a soldier? Do you daven for someone who is, uh, you know, captured? What are you doing with all those feelings? We are no longer an evan of, 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 we're, we're no longer at the heart of a stone. So now what? So now what do you, we have to use you, we have to use this empathy. So when we look at the world, we look that there is real empathy and there's fake empathy. There is real outrage and there's selective outrage. And it goes with anything. The empathy, the cure that the world is giving to Gaza, the world is giving to the Palestinian, we can see most of it, it's fake, it's nonsense. They don't care about it and they're going to forget about it as soon as the war is going to be over. You know, like, it, it, it comes and goes. But we all know that Jewish empathy is very different. Muslims kill Muslims and Muslims don't care about Muslims. We know that it's very obvious. We see this time and time again. But when a Jew hurts, all the Jews feel the pain. Every single one of us. When you go and you read and you're going on the news and you see another two soldiers are, you know, didn't, didn't make it, every single Jew, the, the, it affects something. It's like, oh. You know, like, you know, I can't. And I'll be honest with you, when, when sometimes when I'm going through the news and I'm reading it and I see that, I have to skip it. Like, I, I shouldn't, maybe, and I should really feel for a second, but sometimes I just, I just skip over it. I, I can't. Like, you know, sometimes it's just too much. Because we feel. And we're supposed to feel. And we need to feel. But the question is, what are we doing? Do you realize that HaKadosh Baruch is giving us an opportunity? Just like when the people went out of Mitzrayim. The Geula of Mitzrayim is very similar to the Geula that's coming out when Mashiach comes. And HaKadosh Baruch gave the Jewish people an opportunity to, 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 have, to have that empathy in Mitzrayim. And now HaKadosh Baruch is giving us the opportunity to have the empathy now in, 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 Gullis, in the last final Gulf before Mashiach comes. And we have to utilize that. So feel. Feel, 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 feel strong. But do something with those. That you feel something, stop for a second, Davin, say to Helen. You're feeling something, okay, so then do something extra. Learn a little bit more. Dress a little bit more modestly. You know, learn the help of Lashem Hara. Keep Shabbos a little better. Do something with that feeling. Because feeling is the beginning of something that you're able to, trans- to, to transfer that into, into an action. It's not just that, okay, I feel something, now let me skip and we'll go to the next thing. Maybe, you know, I'll, 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 I'll dig it under some, some, some more layers of suppression that I need to put in. No, this is something that we need to go and we need to, 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 to utilize it. And that I think is a huge, huge aspect that we have to learn from this. Besides the fact that the double standards is also a good lesson. The double standards is in every single one of us. You know, like it's easy to point fingers and say, oh yeah, they got double standards. Yeah, but to some level, each and every single one of us, we all have some sort of double standards. So let us take these two lessons. The first and the most important lesson is make sure that when you feel, and you will feel, if you're listening to this, if you're learning, if you're a Jew, you are going to feel. Utilize those feelings. Say a capital with Helen. Daven for someone. Do something with that, with that, with those emotions. That's number one. And number two, 
Just like the world has double standards, every single one of us has double standards. And we have to go and dig a little bit deep down and see where our double standards are and try to overcome them and try to go and, and bring them to a point where we're just like Yaakov Vinu. We just have one focus. We just, the way that we act in our home is the way that we act outside, is the way we act in yeshiva, is the way we act with the development, is the way we act with business associates, is the way we act with every single aspect of that because we only, we only have one, and that, there's only one thought process, and that is what we need to do for our Baruchu. And with that, hopefully, with the empathy that we have, just like the empathy that we, they had in Mitzrayim, and that, brought them redemption so much quicker. May HaKadosh Baruch will also bring the Geula quickly in our days with our empathy that we have. And with that, we'll, we'll say one capital Hillen as we always do, and then we will open up if there are any uh, questions. Okay. As usual, we'll say Kapitel Lamed, chapter uh, 130. And again, anybody that's listening to this after the fact say the Tehillim, you know, like, it's not just, the, you know, like, if someone makes a bracha, you know, you're not supposed to answer Amen, it's on recording, like, no, no, say the Tehillim. Shiam Alois, Mimam Akim, Karasich, Adrenoi, Adrenoi, Shema, Bekoili, Tieno, Aznecha, Kashu, Vais, Lekol, Tachanunoi, Im Avoinois, Tish, Morya, Adrenoi, Mi, Amoid, Ki Imchas, Licholiman, Tivorei, Okay, let us open up for any questions, and then we will end it off. Okay, I see the link over here, so thank you. I am going to check that out. Um, it's not flu, but I have to check it out. But thank you for the link. Uh, yes, <laughs> it did work out for the daily dose. Oh, Amen for the for the kind words. Okay, what does it mean? We have a beer. What does it mean if you feel like you're not feeling? Like, it's like when I see something, I don't feel sad about it, but I don't feel inspired to do something. So, there are... That's a great question. Um, because there are people that we become desensitized. Uh, when, Especially when we're looking and we're reading and, and you know, like, we're, we have a, a, over, a crazy overload of information. So we do become desensitized. And it's normal and it's common to be desensitized, uh, you know, by it. But the the simple way out of it is is it's a, just like a little bit of like a thought process. It's not even I would say meditation, but it's not even, it doesn't even have to go that far. You know, it's just like being in a quiet place for a minute to five minutes, where you could just like just like think about what's going on, think about what the parents of the you know the kidnapped people are, think about what the what the spouses and the parents and the you know the children of the soldiers are going. You know, like there are so many aspects that you could just contemplate on, that you could think about, that you could really bring yourself to like a point of of just like feeling something because like you will if, if you just think about it guaranteed less than five minutes you can think about it and it will bring yourself to emotion and sometimes we don't because we just push it down we suppress it or we come desensitized because of the overall, overall uh, um, you know overflow of information 
Okay, next question. Last question, it looks like. Can you use my money to pay for Jewish marriage, uh, a marriage class? Okay, that is uh, not 100% clear. Uh, possibly, possibly, but you have to be a little bit more specific, so you could message me privately, um, because I need a little bit more of, uh, some specifics, but, but it is, uh, possible. Okay, looks like that is all the questions. I want to thank you all for, uh, for joining, as usual. Um, uh, I really appreciate anybody that joins the, the live classes. Again, anybody that does want to join the live classes, you are able to join our WhatsApp group. You can either email me at rabbizitron at torahanytime.com or on the YouTube pages on the bottom, there is a link for the WhatsApp to join the WhatsApp groups. And there you have all the, uh, you know, the information for the upcoming, uh, upcoming classes. Thank you all for joining. Until the next class, may Akadish Baruch watch over every single one of us, all the Chayalim, all the people in Yisrael, and may we hear tremendous amount of amazingly good news this coming week. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.